over here in Nigeria um, have been having campaigns on reforestation, planting more trees, getting more people um, inclined to protecting the environment and saving ourselves from the effects of climate change. But the local knowledge of climate change is kind of still limited. The people are feeling the effect of it, but not much has been done to curtail the impact of it. Hi, I'm Stephanie Tumampos and you're listening to Down to Earth, the show where we talk to incredible geoscientists about their science and its impacts on our planet. Climate change seems to be on everyone's minds these days, but in the heart of countries like Nigeria, there are multiple barriers preventing people from addressing it. Socioeconomic situations like poverty, lack of education, and limited access to information make tackling climate change difficult. So today, we're taking a look at these barriers and seeing what one scientist is doing to overcome them. This season of Down to Earth is supported by the Inspire, Develop, Empower, Advance, or IDEA Committee of the IEEE Geoscience and Remote Sensing Society. The IDEA Committee works to empower engineers and scientists in their geoscience and remote sensing careers by organizing events, activities, and programming for members around the world. One program listeners should definitely explore is their Women Mentoring Women program. This mentorship program is an incredible experience that fosters careers and friendships across generations, disciplines, and geographies. To learn more, visit grss-ieee.org and select IDEA from the community header menu. Vegetation are like the shock absorbers we have for climate change. Like any slightest change in climate will be reflected on them. Thus, why it's important to monitor them. This is Shidima Umewugu Maduka. She's a geospatial analyst and a lecturer in the Department of Geography and Meteorology at Namdi Azikawe University, Oka. She specializes in vegetation monitoring with respect to climate change. More interested in the trees, because the trees tell us a lot of stories from the past years of how they behaved and how they're going to respond in the future and how they're feeling right now. My interest on that vegetation is listening to the story they're telling us to understand how they are responding and to use it to make decisions on how we can tackle climate change locally. Chidima has a particular interest in addressing climate change issues by working with local communities. From helping assess when and where to plant trees as part of Nigeria's reforestation campaigns to supporting the community in understanding the impacts of climate change on their local water supply, Chidima is all about using remote sensing to empower citizens. We are planting trees. Where? Why? These are some of the questions that people don't answer when they want to plant trees. You don't just plant trees. You know, they don't just plant. You have to plant according to need to solve a particular problem, not just to, I'm planting trees. No. Studying that vegetation, I will learn where we have need for more vegetation. Then how many trees are needed? What is going to be tackled? What is going to be compacted? We know that trees absorb CO2 for their photosynthesis and activities for reproduction and um, all growths. But then when we have issues of like high rainfall intensity that affects the growth of these trees, we need to monitor all those to plant more trees to replace the lost ones to capture more carbon from the atmosphere. Let me follow up on what you said about uh, people don't know that we need to plant certain trees in certain areas. Why do we need specific trees for specific areas, like in Nigeria? 
people when planting they look about the aesthetic of the plants like planting jacanda trees but are they indigenous to the environment jacanda plant is common in south africa but here in nigeria they are an invasive species because it requires more water thus taking the few limited water available for other plants so when you are planting you have to be sure that those trees are indigenous to the environment and they will not pose more trouble to the environment too indigenous plants help more because they're already used to the environment they go straight to the work you send them to do but invasive species will come and create more problem in the environment that's why we need to know which tree to plant where and when I like it that you said that because a lot of people don't know that some trees can be invasive. They're not bad, but, you know, they're not part of the original ecosystem. I'm glad that you explained that to us. So you mentioned that people are feeling the impacts of climate change, but they're not really discussing it or doing things about it at this point in time. In your view, how do we help people learn about climate change and empower them to tackle it locally and nationally? Um, I think we have to start with what causes them, what made them not to be mindful of climate change. Poverty is a, a big problem in Nigeria because when people are hungry, you won't tell them not to, not to cut down trees to survive or not to use firewood to cook. So if you solve the issue of poverty, I think we're able to cover up some of the climate change issues over here in Nigeria. Then awareness. Awareness is being created but then again, how do you explain to that poor, illiterate woman in the village that climate change is happening? She doesn't know what climate change is. One of the reasons I went into vegetation and vegetation monitoring is that the farmers know about the planting seasons and they could easily relate to climate change. For example, um, we have what we call Odala over here, African star fruits. Normally, at times, it fruits twice in a year, or you get it as early as December. But these days, it gets late March, late February. And these are the language that these local persons can understand. But when you bring them the terminology of climate change, stop doing this, stop doing that, they will not understand. But when you make them understand that things are no longer normal, they will understand. So these are the things they can relate to. So that's why local awareness should be tailored towards religious particular understanding and related to the non-common environment. So I think um, if, if we can tackle poverty and tackle um, local awareness, um, climate change issue in Nigeria can be curbed to some certain degree. I totally relate to you on the poverty part. I come from the Philippines, a developing country. We have a lot of poor people. And talking to them about climate change, when your tummies, stomachs are growling, are looking for food, and you're worried about the next day what to eat, I think that's the last on their list, right? Exactly. So how are you building this community work into your own research? Can you give us an example? Um. Okay. So far, my own research, I haven't done so much on it. But a center I'm attached with in the university is on climate change and water resources management. So we went to all these villages that have rivers among lakes or small streams with them. Then we did them um, special temporal analysis to show them the decrease 
or increase as case may be of their river, or the changes over time. And this is what they are seeing. They know their streams. They know how it has been. They know the behavior. They understand it. So when you bring it down, they can be able to relate to what you're saying and then go into conservation to protect what they have. So on that outreach, I have been doing a lot within my own local environment here. But on the, on the regional scale, we've been holding them um, conferences on climate change to educate the locals and to educate stakeholders on climate change issues within our local environments. You mentioned about earth observation. How, how is earth observation helping you in this line of work? Oh, wow. A lot. <laughs> A lot. <laughs> Honestly, I'm thankful for technology because it has made things easier for us. You know, when you tell somebody that um, your, your, your water basin, your river basin is shrinking, they will not understand it. But when you bring in the pictorial aspect of it, see, look at how it has changed over time. They can be able to relate to it. So it's, it's made things easier for us. That's really nice because, you know, um, as what they say, you can use to see is to believe. So when you see, see it happening, you get to really have a concrete evidence that it's yes. it's happening, right? So we talked about a few barriers to tackling climate change in Nigeria. We mentioned poverty as a major factor. We also discussed people's lack of awareness about climate change and how the country needs to educate locals using a grassroots approach and explanations they can relate to. We also talked about the need to create informed plans for initiatives like Nigeria's existing efforts on reforestation. But one barrier we haven't quite touched on yet has to do with the idea that geography, GIS, and remote sensing is not a career many choose or even know about. And this is especially true for women. So this leads to fewer people available who can support well-planned climate change strategies. And I think this barrier relates to your own journey into science, right? So how did this play out for you? Actually, when I when I um, showed geography in my high school as my course of study for university, my class girls then geography. What are you going to do with geography? What, I mean, <laughs> all the career perspective in geography, you're just going to end up being a classroom teacher. Like, wow, I was scared. I don't know, because actually we don't have that um, awareness of career prospect in discipline. And GIS was new. I had to, like, <laughs> teach everybody what GIS is. So, um, my mom was actually there to push me to go into geography. And that's how I joined into geography and GIS. We have more women who want to learn in GIS and who are working in the GIS career path. So um, whenever I can, I introduce more women in the establishment. That's what I have been doing so far. Chidima has channeled this passion for helping others into a new organization she co-founded in 2019 with Sihana Lena Williams called African Women in GIS. After the break, we dive into the story behind African Women in GIS and how this online community is supporting over 325 scientists in 40 different African countries. So stay tuned. When you were first in university, full of passion for science and tech, how many women were in your classes? And as you progressed from undergrad to specialization to your first job and beyond, what happened? If you're like most scientists, technicians, engineers, and mathematicians, 
Chances are, the higher you climbed in your career, the fewer women you saw around you. But what if I told you, you can help shift this trend? Research demonstrates that mentorship can have a huge impact on a woman's career. By choosing to mentor a young woman in science, you'll help them gain confidence, pursue exciting career opportunities, and even help increase the promotion and earning potential for years to come. Consider joining the Geoscience and Remote Sensing Society's Women Mentoring Women program and make a big difference in a young scientist's life. Learn more by visiting grss-i8.org and select IDEA from the community header menu. Welcome back. Today we're speaking to Chidima Mewugu Maduka, lecturer in the Department of Geography and Meteorology at Namdi Azikiwe University Oka and co-founder of African Women in GIS. Chidima has shared a lot of the barriers Nigerians are facing when it comes to tackling climate change. These barriers have led to a steep curve Nigerians have to overcome in order to create effective strategies to mitigate this climate crisis. In addition, she herself has had to overcome personal barriers to reach the career she has right now. As she mentioned before the break, just picking geography as her focus for university was something others couldn't fully understand because there was no known career prospects associated with geography. Thankfully, Chidima's mother pushed her to pursue geography. However, her experience throughout the process had her realizing the impact discrimination plays in women's desire to pursue a career in GIS and remote sensing. Let's find out what happened. So it's not easy to pursue research and work in remote sensing because there aren't a lot of schools that offer in-depth programming or training on remote sensing, plus the added challenge of being a woman in the science and technology engineering mathematics field. So can you tell us a bit about your journey? Of course. Uh, okay, I got introduced to geography at a young age of, say, seven, nine years by my mom. We had a small red globe at home. So it was during um, World Cup in 1999 or so. So I was curious about the countries being cold. So with the help of the mother, I was able to locate where they are. It's kind of triggered my interest in geography. Then um, again, on my, in my high school, we went to a field work on gully erosion monitoring. So I was intrigued, like, what's led to this? I mean, what are the factors? What? So seeing those issues on the environment, it triggered my interest. Okay, how can this be solved? So I went on to study geography in my senior secondary school, then got my admission in university to study geography again. Then during my IT, that's industrial training, I met GIS. The company I was attached to, we are using GIS, the days of ACMAP 9.3 and EWIS. So it was interesting. I made my first map. It was actually interesting and thrilling. And that's how I pursued GIS. Of course, I got a scholarship for my master's to study geography and GIS and remote sensing. And that's where my interest took. And so far, I've been able to convert my class people into geography, into GIS. I, I think I faced a lot of challenges because from my undergraduate years to my MSc, okay, so from my undergraduate, I was the only girl or the only lady in the class of 20-something. Uh, it was a big, it's taxing working with men, you know. Men tend to look down on women. And when you give instructions, like, ah, 
this woman? What what can I mean? How can you listen to her? There shouldn't be any form of um discrimination, but unfortunately it happens. We're in a world where women, men look down on women. Then again, towards my um MSc, we are about four ladies in a class of 35. It was quite challenging again, and these are adults. So getting them to work together, collaborate with you, take you serious, it was quite tedious. Very, very tedious. So um along the line, I had to build my character. I learned to be more confident and had to be assertive. Like I had to practice it a little to get them to listen. Then with when time goes on, they adjusted to it. They accepted me and overcame them. But my main challenge I faced was when I got my first show. I was again the only lady in the in a room of 20-something men. To get more women to be employed in the department, I had to consistently top the KPI for six months. Because my boss was kind of um, biased in employing women. So I had to consistently top the KPI for six months, like about do a lot of work, like show that hey, I'm capable, women can do this more than the men. And that kind of convinced my boss to employ more women in the department. And so far, we have more women now than when I met them. Then coming to the um, academic environment is easier. It's quite easy. I have a lot of support from the, my colleague, from my male colleagues. In fact, they look up to me. Let me use the word, look up to me when it comes to GIS, anything. So, so far now, I don't have more challenge now as I am because I think I've, I've been able to prove myself to them that women can do it. That's great. And I'm guessing that your experiences are part of what led you to co-found African Women in GIS, right? Tell us the story. Being in a male-dominated environment makes it so lonely, so, so lonely. Like, men will not understand. So, of course, we need support. We need um, someone that can understand you, that who is on the same journey with you, that you can, you know, lean on when you're tired, can encourage you. I was in just fashion and young forum for GIS in Nigerians, but it's mixed both male and female. But then when you look at the ratio of men to, to female to women in that group were well, like 10 is to one. So the, the gap is still there. So and I, and I had a talk with a friend of mine, Maureen, a, a colleague of mine also, to form this women in GIS, like a branch of the Justicial and Nigerian Forum. So Women in GIS wasn't officially African women in GIS. It was a different group you formed. And when was this? In 2017. Okay, cool. And then what happened? So um, the group grew, grew. I mean, we had more members. I was surprised to have up to 46 members. And I was like, wow. So you have such number in Nigeria. It was, it was an eye-opening. Like, you have such women. And they're just in the background. Then in 2019, um, I met with Sihana on LinkedIn. She reached out on LinkedIn. She had formed a group in Ghana on women in GIS Ghana, whereas I have mine in Nigeria, since we're on the same goal. Why can't we just merge our communities together? And come on, why not? It's for the greater good of women. That's incredible that both you and Sihana had women in GIS groups in Nigeria and Ghana. I guess that great minds think alike. But now you've merged the two groups to form African Women in GIS. And now and 
and you have women from multiple different African countries who have joined. What's your goal with this work? So the main, the main reason for forming um, African women in GIS, the community, is to have women pulled together, being there to support one another, being there to encourage one another. And like in some women are more vocal in our community, in our WhatsApp group, than they are in other groups that have men there. So the platform gave them voice to be, to come out, to be, to be themselves, to be able to relate, to know that they have someone like them on the same journey. So it makes the whole um, journey less lonely, more exciting, and more encouraging. Now, another aspect is to create role models for the younger ones. When I was doing my own jazz, I don't have any role model. I was just on my own. We have to create the role models for the younger ones. They then have someone they can look up to. Then that way not have our mentorship programs. We assign mentees and mentors on one-on-one -on -one mentorship programs, encouraging one another, having someone to understand you, to lean on and to grow, you know. Another reason was to give women the visibility they need. Um, because we have a lot of amazing works done by women in Africa, but most don't see the light of the day. Or some are being suppressed, you know. So with this community, you have seen more of our women coming out to display their talent, to show that to showcase their talents. That's basically the most reasons why we formed African Women in Jazz, to form a community that can support other women in the same journey as we. You mentioned you offer mentorship through African women in GIS. You offer a one-on-one -on -one mentorship with a mentee. You pair them. So in your view, what is the role of mentorship? Why is it important for women in STEM? Okay, um, mentorship, of course, is um, lifting others. Let me use that word, lifting someone. But again, I say mentorship to be more than that. We are there to encourage them, you know, to push them to be better than what they are, and then to push them to be a better version of themselves, to push them to reach a higher level, a higher heights than what they are now or where they are now, encouraging them to be more. Then another part of mentorship, um, I call it um, legacy, looks at um, grooming someone to follow your footsteps. You know, like in GitHub, you know, they have a reason to inherit your Git libraries. Uh-huh. So that kind of legacy mentorship is something I also look towards to grooming someone like by dying now, who's going to take over me? Who's going to take over the research? Continuity matters. My first mentee was Deborah from Zambia. She just finished her fourth year in school and she doesn't know much about GIS. I have to introduce GIS to her, give her things to do, follow up, and now she can do well by herself. Even though that was about three years ago, I still keep in touch with her. From time to time, she has questions, she approached me, I hope if I have any, if I see any um, good um, scholarship scheme and my profit her, I send it to her. So mentorship is not just a one-time thing. I'm there to coach you the much I can over time. So I think that mentorship was very mutual for both of you. And I think you're offering not just a specific time-limited mentorship, but 
somehow I see that you're offering it. And I think the group as well, a lifetime mentorship program. So it's really nice to see this one. Yeah, but like I said, um, some did as a one time something, they like six months, three months. But like myself, I like to continue. I won't just bring you and leave you there, no. I like to continue to help you the most I can until you've gotten to where you want to be. I think that's what mentorship should be. You know, it's it should be something that has continuity after a, a program. So for listeners who want to get involved, how do they access the support? Is there a process for becoming a member? Can you tell us more about how can people get connected and involved? Um, for the mentorship, um, first of all, you have to become a member. We have um, links for that. Once you have our mentorship cohort, you can actually apply. You, you get selected. So it's not limited. It's open for all the African women in our members, in our community. So for the mentorship, now we have we are in the fourth cohort and our members get to learn skills like programming skills, like um, JavaScript, Python programming, data analysis, um, using most of this advanced technology. And we have someone there they are going to be accountable to. Like in this cohort, we are in partnership with Digital Earth Africa and they're teaching our women on how to use the Digital Earth platforms. And they have someone they've been accountable to to monitor their progress, to account for their progress and you know, encourage them to do more. We talked earlier about how it can be a lot of pressure for women in STEM because it's like you have to work 10 times harder just to prove yourself and constantly having to prove yourself can be really exhausting. How have you taken care of yourself when facing these challenges? What keeps you going? Huh. My passion, my goal. I want to be better by myself than I'm, I want to be better. I have a passion for geography. I had a passion for GIS. I feel comfortable with it. So it's easy for me to surmount those um, obstacles and challenges. Well, that's all for this episode of Down to Earth. Want to learn more about Chidima's personal research? Then find her on LinkedIn and Twitter at Chidima Umeugu. You can also learn more about African women in GIS by visiting their website at africanwomeningis.org. Be sure to follow the Down to Earth podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and support our sponsors at IEEE underscore GRSS on Twitter and Instagram and IEEE Geoscience and Remote Sensing on Facebook and LinkedIn. This episode was produced by Nicole Bedford from Nicole Bedford Films with help from me, Stephanie Tomampos. Graphics and design by Mylene Briggs of Killam Media. And a special thanks to Heather McNairn and Sean Kipover for their support. I'm Stephanie Tomampos and you've been listening to Down to Earth.